Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Marketers and business owners, you've been pining after a certain someone. Your job's on the line. You're desperate for them to like you back. Here's a word of advice from me. Talking is hot. Just you and them, finally alone, like us two right now. Maybe under the duvet, headphones on, one-on-one. Podcast advertising is proven to be one of the best ways to catch their attention. So surprise them while they're tuned in, while the moment's right. Say a line or two that really gets them going. Next time, if you want to win over your special someone and build some brand love, experiment with something new. Just focus on your voice. Advertise on more than 100,000 podcast shows with Acast. Head to go.acast.com slash closer to get started. Ever since it was set up in 1927, the British Broadcasting Corporation has had a chairman appointed by the government of the day. And ever since then, it's fought to maintain its independence from politicians, as Lord Reith, the first Director General, explained in 1960. Did you have to battle to establish this independence from the government? Yes. Yes. When? Often. In money, in the, the, the financial, that was the, the first that, yes. thing that we came on. They very nearly interfered there. The Prime Minister personally, very nearly. Before I joined the Times, I worked at the BBC for 17 years. And during that time, the BBC board went through half a dozen chairs. Some had been appointed by a Labour government, others by the Tory government that followed. Some had even been politicians before they came to the BBC, but when they did, everyone assumed their loyalties shifted. It was the BBC they defended, not the government that appointed them. But when Richard Sharp became the new chairman in February 2021, people I still know at the BBC were alarmed. Would-be candidates for the BBC chairmanship were being told, don't bother... Boris and Number 10 have decided it's Richard Sharp, is a major donor to the Tory party. At a time when Boris Johnson was threatening to bring down the BBC, this was seen as a brazenly political appointment. And then there was this. The Sunday Times has revealed details of how Boris Johnson may have funded his life in Downing Street. Boris Johnson secured a credit facility of up to £800,000 with the help of a relative. The exclusive story on the front page of the Sunday Times, the current chairman of the BBC helped arrange a guarantee on a loan of up to £800,000 for Boris Johnson. That was weeks before the then Prime Minister selected him for the role. A spokesman says there's been nothing improper about Boris Johnson's relationship with Richard Sharp. Months went by, investigations were launched, and then, on Friday, 
Oh, pardon me, we've got some breaking news. That's exciting. It's the breaking news that the BBC chairman, Richard Sharp, has resigned. So we will very much bring you uh, the very latest... That should have been the end of the story. But with one resignation down, there may now be more to come. Simon Case, front page of The Times, call for top civil servant to go amid worst crisis. I think his days as cabinet secretary are certainly numbered. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today... With the BBC chairman gone, who next? With the fate of the cabinet secretary hanging in the balance, we'll hear all the latest from the Sunday Times political editor, Caroline Wheeler. But first, to understand why so many public figures are fighting for their careers, you really have to go back to the start of this story and to the journalist who kicked it all off. My name's Gabriel Pogrind. I'm the Whitehall editor at the Sunday Times. And Gabriel, when the news broke that Richard Sharp has, had resigned, all over social media, lots of people were pointing out that none of this would have happened if it hadn't been for your investigation alongside Harry York in the Sunday Times. Remind us of what you'd found so this begins in the uh, Notting Hill townhouse of a foreign businessman, a multimillionaire by the name of Sam Blythe. Sam Blythe is a Canadian distant cousin of Boris Johnson's, and he was hosting a dinner in between lockdowns in 2020, and the topic of Boris Johnson's straightened finances came up. And Johnson is sort of always known to have had financial troubles, also known to be a tight git was how one person described him to me. He wouldn't pay for coffee, even if it was, you know, the intern going to prep for him kind of thing. I think that that sort of illustrated, obviously, the kind of chaotic character that we know and love, but also the fact he's long had money issues, but he's been able to deal with them much of the time by doing speaking engagements and writing lucrative column for the Daily Telegraph. Whereas when he stepped into Downing Street, all those outside earnings had to stop. And it was actually just then that, you know, his financial situation became even more vexed. He had a divorce settlement to deal with, decoration of Downing Street, childcare costs. I mean, spiraling costs and diminishing income equals a big issue that actually the Times, among other papers, reported on. I think we said that he was having trouble even meeting the cost of entertaining people at Checkers. So Sam Blythe, enter stage left, says, I'd be happy to help. And this is a cousin Boris Johnson hadn't been aware of before. Yeah, I mean, quite what their relationship was remains a subject of much intrigue. No one's been able to say what the reality of their relationship was before he came and opened his wallet for Boris Johnson. But what we do know is that it was not close. And around the time that Blythe says he's prepared to not actually fork out, but he was going to act as a guarantor, so kind of a backstop on a loan for Johnson. So that if the lender called in the loan and Johnson couldn't repay it, then Blythe would say, well, I'll be your insurance policy. At that time, Blythe was rather coincidentally in talks about becoming the chief executive of the British Council, which is a big foreign office quango. But um, there'd never been any formal scrutiny into that. We've never really got down to the bottom of what happened there. But it was off the back of our reporting on this that 
we got this information that Sharp had been involved. He was so actually talk us through this. How does Richard Sharp arrive on the scene? In journalism, we, we like people doing things. The best stories involve people doing actual things. And I mean, here it was Richard Sharp and Sam Blythe in a room in Notting Hill conversing about their mutual chum, Boris Johnson's precarious predicament. And they were both having a meal at Sam Blythe's West London home. And off the back of this conversation, Richard Sharp says, you know what, I think it's a terrific idea that you help out Boris. He'd be happy to help make the relevant connections. And he, off the back of this dinner, approached Simon Case, said, can we meet? And they subsequently had a behind-closed-doors discussion in Downing Street. And this is Simon Case, the permanent secretary, the cabinet secretary. That's right. So Simon Case, the nation's top official, and Richard Sharp met to discuss how to put a financial agreement into practice. What's Sharp's characterization of that? I mean, while we're here, he says, number one, he went to the length of proactively contacting and then meeting Case in this face-to-face, unminuted, undisclosed meeting in order to help Blythe ensure that everything was done in the right way. Make of that what you will. And he also insists that in their discussion, he disclosed that he was applying to become the chairman of the British Broadcasting Corporation. Simon Case never took minutes or notes of that meeting, so we don't know whether it's true. He says he can't remember whether Sharp mentioned his then live application, but it is this meeting and Sharp's subsequent conversations with Boris Johnson, which became, you know, the subject of this latest investigation. So just remind us, at this point, Richard Sharp is applying to be the chairman of the BBC. What is his role? How, how is he connected to Downing Street? How does he manage to get straight in to see the cabinet secretary? Good question. So he's essentially able to amble into number 10, owing to his role as an advisor to Rishi Sunak on the response to the pandemic. He was a kind of unpaid economic consigliere to Rishi Sunak, who, among other things, knew Sharp because when he'd been a junior banker at Goldman Sachs, he'd been Richard Sharp's financial modeler and analyst. Richard Sharp has come from the world of banking. That's right. So he's a high-powered financier. And had once been Rishi Sunak's boss. As part of that, he had kind of unfettered access to the corridors of power in the form of the cabinet office Downing Street. You know, obviously, ordinarily, one can't just sashay into Downing Street and meet Simon Case. But I suppose this is the way the world works. So he had to pass so he could go into the Treasury in number 11, use that in order to go and press the flesh with Simon Case. And when your story came out, and when you were about to put it out, what was Boris Johnson's response? He gave a pretty characteristic doorstep interview to broadcast cameras in which he deployed a slightly idiosyncratic phrase. Let me just, let me just tell you, Richard Sharp is a good and a wise man, uh, but he knows absolutely nothing about my personal finances. I can tell you that for, for 100% ding-dang sure. This is just- Not a version of events which I think has been vindicated, but he has essentially being forthright and refusing to engage on the subject of anything. I mean, they tried to get us to stop publishing the story at all. We used the fact that the loan was up to a given amount to deny that there was ever any kind of loan. And when your story came out, by then Richard Sharp had been installed as chairman of the BBC. The story caused a real stir. 
it led to all sorts of questions being asked. What was Richard Sharp's response? Richard Sharp's response has been pretty consistent. He just doesn't think he's done anything wrong. Um, he's been a, he was an advisor to Boris Johnson in City Hall back when Johnson was London mayor. He was one of the most senior bankers at Goldman Sachs, is a major donor to the Tory party, chairs at various think tanks and other institutions. So, I mean, he's not a, a, an unsophisticated uh, character. He's certainly not illiterate in the way that public life works. But he's also conveyed this idea that he wasn't actually versed in how public appointments worked. He didn't know he should have done anything. And he's sort of terribly sorry if the interpretation that others have reached is that he failed in a particular way. But no, he's, he's not particularly apologetic. I think that's fair to say. I, I don't think he would quibble about the idea that he basically thinks that he you know, is subject to expectations and scrutiny, which isn't fair. Coming up, we'll look at the fallout for the BBC and also for the highest levels of the civil service. That's in just a moment. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Marketers and business owners, you've been pining after a certain someone. Your job's on the line. You're desperate for them to like you back. Here's a word of advice from me. Talking is hot. Just you and them, finally alone, like us two right now. Maybe under the duvet, headphones on, one-on-one. -on -one. Podcast advertising is proven to be one of the best ways to catch their attention. So surprise them while they're tuned in, while the moment's right. Say a line or two that really gets them going. Next time, if you want to win over your special someone and build some brand love, experiment with something new, just focus on your voice. Advertise on more than 100,000 podcast shows with Acast. Head to go.acast.com slash closer to get started. When your story came out, there was a real outcry. There were lots of questions being asked about the institution, about the BBC, whether it was now 
could be seen as as being free and fair and, and doing what it should do as a public broadcaster, which is not run by the government. It led to a series of investigations, I suppose. Talk us through, firstly, the Select Committee. Um, this is the DCMS. This is the, the Culture Select Committee in Parliament. What was their response? So the system for public appointments is pretty weird because a lot of people, especially at the biggest jobs, things like the BBC chairman, are essentially recommended by ministers. So the prime minister and the culture secretary together determine who chairs the BBC. But then there are also these sort of safeguards or other committees that get involved at various stages to ensure that things are done by the book. And one of the committees involved in deciding the BBC chairman is the DCMS Select Committee. So that's Department of Media, Culture and Sport. It's a cross-party committee of MPs, currently chaired by a Tory parliamentarian. And once the government and the appointments panel has put forward a candidate and they've been accepted in principle, those MPs are required to conduct their own hearing called a pre-approval hearing in which they can ask them relevant questions and either withhold or rubber stamp. To my knowledge, they never withheld it. It's seen to be important. There's some sort of parliamentary involvement. Anyway, they naturally were never told about Richard Sharp's involvement in talks about Johnson finances. And so they were pretty furious about that and did and their presumably own... presumably they'd asked whether there'd been any conflicts of interest. On the application form, you have to detail not only any conflicts of interest, any potential perceived conflicts of interest and anything which could cause embarrassment should the appointment be confirmed. That wasn't made available to the panel or the DCMS committee, which in the latter case investigated and quickly found that Sharp had made significant errors of judgment and ought to reflect on the damage he'd done not only to the BBC, but also to faith in the public appointment system more generally. So they did their investigation. The BBC were kind of chronicled as having launched their own probe, but it never really amounted to that. I'm sure that that would ever see the light of day now. And just remind us about how this investigation by a Casey, by a King's Council, comes about. Because, you know, as you say, the Select Committee had found that there had clearly been errors. Richard Sharp didn't resign then. He kept his head down and everybody's waiting instead for this investigation. Initially, a guy called William Shawcross, who's the commissioner for public appointments was asked to investigate and he launched an inquiry and then rather mysteriously stepped down saying that he had had past contact with Sharp so it wasn't a suitable person to do this investigation so then it got handed to this barrister. Richard Sharp does sound like he's very well connected. I don't think anybody could <laughs> deny that. I think I might be one of the few people who didn't know him before. <laughs> I can't imagine that I'll uh, be getting to know him now. Yes. So he passes this investigation on? And they presumably appoint somebody who's seen as independent? Yes, a barrister called Adam Heppenstall basically examined whether or not the appointment complied with the government's own code for appointments, and the answer was no, it didn't. So tell us about the report. What are the key findings? The report's core finding is that Richard Sharp's appointment breached the government's own code for these things in two key ways. Number one, he never told anybody on the appointments panel about the fact that he'd gone and spoken to Boris Johnson about his application before submitting it. And the second is that he never informed the panel or the 
MPs committee that he had been involved in conversations about Boris Johnson finances, both with Boris Johnson himself and then Simon Case. I think it's sort of a well-established fact that ministers can bring to bear upon appointments processes and there was actually a an interesting piece which appeared in the spectator under robert peston's byline in a month's preceding sharp's appointment saying that in whitehall would-be candidates for the bbc chairmanship were being told don't bother because boris and number 10 have decided it's richard sharp so it was kind of known that the government had its preferred candidate but even then these things have to take place within guardrails and uh, what adam heppenstall's report concluded is it didn't comply with the rules in question so the people who were picking who the next chairman would be knew very much who the prime minister wanted it to be they certainly read reports about that. And I mean, actually, the, this latest investigation is super interesting as well, because it says that Number 10 was also involved in handpicking the people who were ostensibly there to be on this neutral and rigorous appointments panel. So one person on it, for example, was a, a lawyer called Blondell Clough. She's a, a pr- prominent lawyer in her own right, but it's difficult to avoid the detail that she's also married to the proprietor of The Spectator during Boris Johnson's editorship and has praised Johnson's brave leadership publicly. So, I mean, this is one of the people who was involved in the scrutiny and interviewing process of Sharp. So, I mean, you know, this process is not unencumbered by politics, but even then, you know, you do have to make certain details clear and none of those facts were ever made available to the relevant individuals. Richard Sharp obviously resigned as a result of this report. What's the BBC's response been? I was quite surprised by this. They put out a statement from the corporation and then also one from Tim Davey, the Director General. And in it, they said basically that Sharp had done a great job and was a man of integrity. I would like to thank Richard for his service to the BBC and the drive and intellect he brought to his time as chairman. Working with him over the last two years has been rewarding and Richard has made a significant contribution to the transformation and success of the BBC. So the BBC doesn't have the right to remove its chairman anyway. That's, I suppose the point of being chairman is that you're overseeing the organisation rather than the other way around. But it was never for the Beeb itself to make the call, albeit there had been loads of briefing that people at the highest heights of Broadcasting House felt that his role was untenable but you know it doesn't help them today to stick the knife in or all they need to do is say thank you very much and cheerio and that is basically what they've said do we know how much impact richard sharp actually had when he was there i mean how much was he able to influence what happens at the bbc there are plenty of people out there who will say yes he was doing a good job and obviously this ended up being a blessing and a curse for him but he did have connections to the Tory party and to ministers and that might have served him well battling for the corporation in a testy time with license fee and cuts at the world service and all the rest of it. Gary Lineker has tweeted that the BBC chairman should not be selected by the government of the day, not now, not ever. Do you think this whole episode will change the way the chairman is appointed? Will it stop being a political appointment? One thing it has to be said is I'm not sure that the fact that it's a political appointment has ended up posing much of an advantage to the government of the day over the decades. New Labour had a profoundly antagonistic relationship with 
BBC at every level in respect of the Iraq war, yeah. uh, certainly after the invasion. And, you know, fast forward to the present day, Rishi Sunak is not at all look comfortable about his former boss being subject to all this public scrutiny and potentially there was a very real possibility that he would be forced to make some sort of decision. You know, it's not comfortable for the government. It doesn't appear to be brilliant for the BBC. Mm. It obviously doesn't help, mm. both in its global but also domestic reputation, that ministers can be so uh, directly involved in determining who chairs the corporation. And there, there will definitely be a conversation now about whether that procedure is right and proper or whether there's perhaps a better way. So let's take stock. What started as an investigation into the Prime Minister's finances has already brought down the chairman of the BBC and it could end up changing the way that appointments like this are made in the future. And meanwhile, it snowballed into a question of whether the top civil servant in the country should still be doing his job. Earlier on, we heard about Simon Case, the cabinet secretary who had that crucial meeting with Richard Sharp. As we heard, Sharp says he did tell Case that he was in the running for the BBC job, but Case says he didn't. We can't be sure who's telling the truth because Simon Case failed to take full notes at that crucial meeting. So let's get back to that part of the story with another Westminster insider. I'm Caroline Wheeler and I'm political editor of the Sunday Times. We normally speak to you when you're hurrying through the corridors of power in Westminster and on a really big news day there'll be helicopters overhead. Today I can hear birdsong. Does this mean they occasionally let you out? They do occasionally let me out. Yes, absolutely. Not very often, but with the coronation week and also the teacher strikes. Yes, you can hear the birdsong in the back of my garden. And Caroline, we've been hearing about this meeting between Richard Sharp and Simon Case. Just remind us why this meeting in particular puts Simon Case's job on the line. Simon Case didn't take any, well, he took some notes, but they were very scant in detail. Mentioned words like conflict of interest, but no reference to BBC. And when he was asked about this particular meeting as part of the inquiry into this affair, he effectively said he couldn't remember what had been said during the course of these discussions, which has raised real questions about Simon Case in terms of his professionalism as the country's most senior civil servant. And so this has raised fresh questions about Simon Case's future in Downing Street. Simon Case has been the subject of many briefing wars for his involvement in a number of sagas, if you think back from Partygate back in, in May last year. Simon Case, the Prime Minister's Cabinet Secretary, has had to step back from running the inquiry into allegations of Christmas parties in Downing Street. It is another unbelievable twist in Partygate that the lead investigator has now been the subject of stories suggesting that he may have attended or even hosted his own parties. Nadim Zahawi, Dominic Raab, he's had a role in all of those scandals. He was even implicated in those WhatsApp texts. Leaked WhatsApp messages showed Simon Case involved in banter with Matt Hancock during the pandemic. 
there were some rather questionable WhatsApp messages sent, which many people thought was going to end his career at that moment. But certainly yeah. he's at the front of a new briefing war at the moment. Lots of people, both political and indeed from the civil service, very much questioning whether he's up to the job. From civil servants' point of view, and I spoke to a number of senior civil servants for the piece that we published on Sunday, I think there's a sense that they see him much more as a courtier than they do as a civil servant. And in many cases, they think that they're better than him, more seasoned, more experienced. And that has led to a kind of feeling of resentment. But also, there have been solid rumours. I say solid rumours because normally that comes from sort of people on the periphery. But I've been getting this from, from people even inside Downing Street, that there is an expectation that he would hang on until the coronation because um, he used to work at the palace. He's got very strong connections with Prince William, but many sources of mine saying they don't really expect him to be there beyond the summer recess. Now, over the weekend after we wrote that story, his allies launched a, a counter-offensive and said that wasn't true. But at the same time, we understand that Case is no longer attending many of those meetings that he once was. One source saying to me he was often not at those critical meetings. Now, I have to be fair and say that his his allies say this is a stylistic change by Sunak, who prefers to deal directly with officials who are in those departments where he's making those decisions. But we can certainly say that his role within government has changed in recent months. As one senior civil servant said to me, it's a question of when and not if he departs Downing Street. And we should say, you know, he does have his supporters. On Times Radio, we heard Lord Bethel, the former health minister, saying he didn't recognise a lot of these stories. A lot of the stories that are being told, they seem very one-sided. He he is the conduit for a lot of electricity and everyone's pointing the blame at the top guy. That's why instinctively I feel it's a bit unfair just to scapegoat uh, the, the, the guy who seems to be holding the can. With this whole saga of Richard Sharp, Simon Case and essentially Boris Johnson with this loan, where his distant cousin, Sam Blythe, got involved. I suppose one of the big questions that's still outstanding, we still don't know the answer to, is who actually loaned or was prepared to loan Boris Johnson the money? Are we any wiser now? No, not really. I mean, it's the big question at the heart of this scandal that no one's actually ever got the answer to. We did get a little closer to it over the course of the weekend where we were told that it is a retail bank that eventually made the loan to Boris Johnson, but they've remained extremely tight-lipped on what sort of bank that is other than the very scant detail that they've given us. So no, we still don't know who loaned that money to Boris Johnson. It's curious. And is this... Is this essentially, you know, we've seen Richard Sharp go, it does look like lots of people now think Simon Case's days are numbered. Is this what some people call almost the reverse Midas touch of Boris Johnson? Is this his legacy crumbling? I think there's lots of people who say that anybody that came close to Boris Johnson often got burnt in the end. This is another one of those examples. I mean, Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister himself, getting that fine for Partygate, standing in a room with a cake. Other people that were involved in, for example, Wallpapergate, they were left with a very nasty taste in their mouth. 
So yes, I think there's lots of people that would say that the Boris Johnson effect has been exactly the opposite of the Midas effect and many people's careers have suffered as a consequence. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, The Sunday Times Whitehall editor, Gabriel Pogrand, and political editor, Caroline Wheeler. If you're a subscriber, you can read all of Gabriel and Caroline's work at thetimes.co.uk. The producers today were James Shield, Edward Drummond, and Olivia Case. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you can, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find us. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Marketers and business owners, you've been pining after a certain someone. Your job's on the line. You're desperate for them to like you back. Here's a word of advice from me. Talking is hot. Just you and them, finally alone, like us two right now. Maybe under the duvet, headphones on, one-on-one. Podcast advertising is proven to be one of the best ways to catch their attention. So surprise them while they're tuned in, while the moment's right. Say a line or two that really gets them going. Next time, if you want to win over your special someone and build some brand love, experiment with something new, just focus on your voice. Advertise on more than 100,000 podcast shows with Acast. Head to go.acast.com slash closer to get started.